welcome to Get Your Book Done. I'm your host, Christine Closer, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, award-winning publisher, and book writing coach to thousands. I love helping aspiring nonfiction authors write, publish, and promote their best books because there's nothing more powerful than writing a book to transform your life, your readers' lives, your business, and ultimately the world with your message. So let's get started. Today, I've got something special in store for you, an exclusive flashback episode. These interviews, which I'll run a handful of times a year, feature guests from my Transformational Author Experience, an online training I ran from 2011 to 2018, featuring top authors, publishers, and industry leaders. Some of these interviews are just too good to keep locked up in cyberspace any longer, so I'm bringing you one of my favorites today. So Gay Hendricks, Ph.D., is the president of the Hendricks Institute, and he has served for more than 35 years as one of the major contributors to the field of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. Along with his wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks, Gay is the co-author of many bestsellers, including Conscious Loving and Five Wishes and, well, I was going to say my favorite, The Big Leap, but I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, he's also the author of 33 additional books, including The Corporate Mystic, Conscious Living, and my favorite, The Big Leap. Now, he received his Ph.D. in counseling psychology from Stanford back in 1974, and after a 21-year career as a professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado, he and Kathleen founded the Hendricks Institute, which is based in Ojai, California, and offers seminars worldwide. He also is the founder of the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which if you don't know about, you ought to. It's my favorite way to get movies. And Gay has also appeared on more than 500 radio and TV shows, including CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, Oprah, the ultimate for authors, and many, many more. So I'm really excited to welcome you here today, Gay. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. Great being with you. Well, of course, as you heard me talk about, our topic today is on writing a great book. So I would just love for you to share a little bit about your journey into authorship and how you got started with your incredible writing career. Well, I've always loved to write since I was a kid, and I was always writing stories and uh, things like that. And uh, also, I've been very interested in human nature and psychology and that kind of thing. Almost seemed like when I was a kid, I was very fascinated by that kind of thing. Um, and so I started writing, I guess, uh, maybe when I was 22, I started writing some poems about the counseling process, and I was in a master's program at the time in counseling psychology at New Ham uh, University of New Hampshire, and I then went on to get my doctorate out at Stanford, but when I was at New Hampshire, I was working in the daytime as a school teacher and a counselor for delinquent boys, and in the evenings, I went over to the, to the university to study my counseling psychology, and I, and I found one day I was talking to one of my professors, and he really changed my life with one little thing he said. I said, I've always loved to write, and I love to write, and I, I, um, I want to write a novel and that kind of thing. And I said, and I also love counseling. And he said this thing that was so simple, but I hadn't even thought of it. He said, well, gosh, why don't you combine the both and write things that are poetry but about counseling. He said a lot of the stuff that's written about counseling is kind of dry and, uh, you know, and a lot of the books written in psychology and everything are, are not really so people can understand them. And so that gave me the, an idea. And so over the course of that semester, I ended up writing three poems that I was really proud of. I wrote a bunch, you know, dozens, but there were three that I ended up getting published in a counseling journal. And it set them off on a whole thing of publishing poetry from counselors over the next few years. And so I was very happy that I kind of got a conversation going and ended up teaching some uh, classes about uh, at conferences about writing and counseling and bringing the two together. So for me, writing has always been about 
what I could do to shed light on things in myself and what I, how I could describe my things that happened in the counseling process. And so it's always been about the deeper, more kind of heartfelt issues in life. Um, I, I don't know how I would write anything else. You know, like if somebody said, uh, hey, Gay, I'll pay you $50,000 if you'll write an article next month on garage door openers. You know, I have, have no idea. <laughs> I'd have to turn it down. So uh, a while back, as a matter of fact, uh, just on an amusement note, uh, because uh, – one of my first books where I really wrote it from my own heart was my book, Learning to Love Yourself, which came out in the early 80s. And um, and so um, some years later, as a result of that book, Learning to Love Yourself, I got contacted by a big chocolate company. Um, and they make um, – it's a European chocolate company that was going to try to kind of come into the U.S. market, which they subsequently did. But they um, asked me if I – was interested in being a spokesman for them, the whole idea that learning to love yourself with chocolate. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they, they offered uh, this gigantic amount of money at the time, which I remember was very compelling. But then I thought, gosh, do I really want to go down in history as the guy that is all about loving yourself with chocolate, you know? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I live here in Pennsylvania, and my favorite escape is going out to the Hershey Spa, where they actually will cover you in chocolate if you want them to for a cocoa massage or a cocoa scrub or a cocoa facial. So who knows? Maybe there's something to loving yourself with chocolate. But um, I know for all the people who have been profoundly transformed with your books, not about loving chocolate, um, they're probably glad you you chose a different road. I'm really glad you shared just about your passion and that where you get juiced about writing is shining shining light, you know, on things within yourself. And I think this touches in, as I teach the four levels of transformation through authorship, that first level being the transformation that happens for you. And when you can really use your writing as your own transformational tool, it can change everything and it comes from such a place inside of you that just flows with such ease and reaches authors or reaches readers in that same place inside of them so i'm really glad you touched on that now as you were talking gay you know you're talking about you know one of your books that came out in the early 80s, but I know that you've actually been writing longer than that. I would just to let everyone really see what kind of a career you've had if they're not familiar with your work. Would you talk a little bit about your very first book that came out and also a little bit about your most recent book that came out so we can get the 10,000 foot view of the kind of career you've really had for those that don't know already? Yes. My very first book, which came out in 1975, was the result of spending some time sitting in my daughter's uh, kindergarten and first grade classroom. I would go by there. Uh, she went to school there at an elementary school that was right next to the Stanford campus. And so I often got in the habit of dropping into her classroom. They like to have the parents come in and help out and that kind of thing. And I got in the habit of dropping in her classroom now and then. And I, I started watching how much time the um, the teacher – spent just kind of keeping the kids in line and getting them organized after recess, getting them settled down and things like that. And one day I took my my um, stopwatch with me and I just calculated the number of wasted minutes in the course of the day just because they weren't able to kind of have the children get centered and ready to work again and that kind of thing. Um, so I created a little book, which I called the Centering Book, which was maybe a 150-page book, something like that. I, I wrote the book um, actually uh, on yellow pads. It was the day, in the days before computers, and I didn't even have a working good uh, electric typewriter because I'd just come out of graduate school, and I was just coming out of that starving graduate student phase of life. Uh. I, ho I hope you're not familiar with it, but you might be. <laughs> so uh, I uh, wrote it on a uh, – ended up typing the first draft of it on a borrowed electric typewriter, which the electric typewriter was kind of a big luxury in those days. But I wrote the first draft just on – with uh, those uh, 19-cent Bic pens and the yellow pads they used to make, legal pads. Um, so um, I – 
got lucky in a way because on the campus I kept hearing and here's something I would really like to transmit to your audience, and just as to stay open all the time from little whispers and winks from the universe, because if you allow it to, things can really support you in magical ways. And I'll give you the following example. I've been hearing about this other uh, psychologist on the campus named Jim Fadiman, and he was a professor over in the engineering department, but he worked primarily in the field of creativity, helping engineers get more creative, basically. And so one day I just called him up out of the blue and said I'd heard people speak of you, and could I come over and visit you? And he said, sure. And so I came over, and I introduced myself, and we chatted for about an hour. And during the course of that conversation, it was another one of those magical conversations, he said, um, well, you're just coming out of graduate school now. You're about to go out there, and you're I was working as a research psychologist at Stanford at the time, but I was looking for an academic job. I wanted to be a university professor. That was my big goal from the time I was about 15 <laughs> years old. And so uh, I was looking for a university job, which I ended up finding at the University of Colorado. Um, but this was just before that. And so uh, Jim Fadiman, in the course of the conversation, he said, what do you really want? I mean, what? how do you really want things to go? You're at a primo place right now to figure out how you want things to be. So what's dearest to your heart? It was a fabulous question. And I, I, I was a little tongue-tied at the time. You know, I said, well, one thing I'd really love to do is I'd really love to write this little book and get it out to the teachers in the world. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, he said, I'm a scout for Prentice Hall education books. And he said, why don't, you, why don't you write up a little proposal and send it over to me, and I'll see if they're interested in it. Well, here's a couple of magical things that came out of that. By the time I had walked back to my little cubicle, um, which is probably maybe half a mile away, I had already put together in my head how to write the proposal and how to do the book so it would be a little more mainstream, you know, I, I kind of, it was just kind of a sketchy little thing, and I figured out how to kind of make it mainstream, and so within that hour, I sat down, and when I went back and kind of sculpted out a, a little proposal and a sample chapter based on what I'd already done, and, and took it over to Jim, and he liked it a lot, and ended up recommending that Prentice Hall publishing it. I got the grand amount of $800 for my first book. Uh, they paid me an $800. But I'll, I'll tell you, it was like nowadays getting a $500,000 advance. It was like yeah. head over heels. You know, I couldn't believe it. And so um, that was a real thrill. But here's an in interesting thing that it led to. I was just um, a couple of weekends ago, I was over visiting Jack Canfield, and he and I were talking. Of course, he you know occupies the distinction, I think, still of being the Guinness Book of World Records bestselling uh author in our space anyway and um so um as a result of this little book the centering book it was a big hit it sold i think 60,000 copies the first year among teachers which was just fabulous for that kind of book and so they asked me to do a second centering book which became a book called the second centering book and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but how Keep jack it simple. Comes, yeah how jack comes into play is that as my book was coming out, they started sending me education manuscripts that writers had sent in to get my opinion on them, since I was going to be kind of their first in this particular area. And um, so one of them that came in, they sent me, was quite a thick book called 100 Ways to Raise Self-Concept in the Classroom. It was a manuscript, and it was by Jack Canfield. I'd never heard of him at the time. But I looked through the book, and I thought, man, that is a classic in the making. Uh, and so I recommended a few things they could have him do to it, to it, I thought, make it even better, et cetera. And so I sent it back, and I remember they paid me $50 for those opinions. You know, they would send me <laughs> these books. And I'll tell you, it was like manna from heaven, you know, because I'd get one every month or something like that. And it was always like, wow, now I can take my uh, wife out for dinner, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I wrote them back, and I said, this book is an instant classic. I highly recommend that you 
publish it. And so that was the last I heard of it. The book came out. Of course, it was a big hit. And then Jack went on to write uh, the Chicken Soup books. And I met up with him, with him many years later. And uh, now we live relatively close to each other. But in those days, I was living in Colorado, and he lived out here in California. And so I, I bumped into it at a conference. And I said, by the way, Jack, do you realize that you, you owe your entire career to me? <laughs> <And> <laughs> we, had, we had a good laugh about it. Um, so, um, How fun. It was a lot of fun, and I had a lot of good times during those years in education. Another thing which I'd love to have all of your listeners kind of uh, write on their wall in spray paint or put a Post-it sticky note on somewhere so they'll always remember it, is that it's one thing to write a book, but if you've written a book that really comes from your heart, it's almost like you have an obligation to share it with the world in the form of seminars and classes and things like that. Because, you know, one thing that uh, I remember reading in one of the apocryphal Gospels way back, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of those Gospels that didn't make it into the official Bible, but it has some really good stuff in it. And in it, um, Jesus is reported to have said, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. But if you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. In other words, if you sit on your genius, if you sit on your creativity and don't share it with the world, it can really eat you up. And I've, I've seen that now, having seen you know 20,000 people in my seminars and therapy sessions over the years. I can definitely attest to that because I think the greatest source of pain on our planet is is not hunger, for example. It's unexpressed creativity you know as i go around the world no matter what continent i'm at i'm on whether it's calcutta or chicago or namibia wherever it is it's that unowned unexpressed potential i think that really is such a painful thing for so many people and i know a lot about that myself because i've had times in my life where i got lost in a relationship drama or something like that and put my creativity aside for a long time and it will really it will really eat you alive if you don't open up to that and express that so that's why i appreciate what you're doing with helping people i've had the pleasure now of also um in my own consulting work of ha- having um helping about 70 or 80 authors get their books done and um published and it's been a thrilling journey because once you know it's it's fun to have one's own success it's certainly great but to watch other people's success. That's one of the big thrills of life. And I didn't get to really start experiencing that a lot until I was in my 40s and early 50s where a lot of our students would get out there and start publishing their own books and doing their own things. And that's one of the most satisfying things in the world. And I imagine you're, that's the line of work you're in. So you know that satisfaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love is, you know, the testimonial that it gets from a client that says, thank you so much. You know, my business grew $400,000 and my list size multiplied over and over again. But the greatest transformation, the greatest gift of, you know, working with you to get my book done is who I now know myself to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it brings tears to me. It's like it doesn't get any better than that. And I that's why my approach, you know, is these four levels, the the personal transformation, the transformation of the people you impact, the transformation of the business as a result of those two things, and ultimately the impact that that has on our world. Um, it's just like I'm fired up, as you can tell, which is why we're here at the Transformation Author Experience. Um, but, okay, so your first book, Getting Back, came out in 75 and just give us a snapshot. What was the most recent book that you published? So people really have an idea of what this, what your career looks like. And then I want to ask you a question based on something you just said. Well, this past year, the paperback edition of two of my books are the most recent. The paperback edition of The Big Leap, which you mentioned, and also the paperback edition of Five Wishes came out recently. And so um, those would be my two most recent ones. And those are also – well, you know, my – I guess if I have a big secret about writing, uh, which I've tried to tell everybody over the years, so it's no good secret, is uh, (laughs) get your own passions combined with what would be useful in changing somebody else's life. So what I want to do, every time I sit down to write a book or even write an article or anything, I want to tune into two things. Number one is 
am I talking and writing about something that absolutely feels delicious and essential in me to express? Okay, so it's got to feel good to me. It's got to be something I'm passionate about. And it's got to be something that has the potential of making somebody else's life more valuable. Like if a person reads The Big Leap, for example, which is all about the upper limit problem and how people's the, – the sabotage mechanisms of how, how we sabotage ourselves from being successful. It's about that, and it's also how to discover your zone of genius inside you where you're operating from that place where everything feels effortless and you're loving what you're doing. So that's the two points of the book that um, that are the key points of the book. So those two things, if, if a person a person could understand that and get it and figure it out within an hour of reading the book, and I promise you if they really understood it, they would go to bed that night feeling that their life had more value. And that's a criterion for me that's always kind of in the back of my mind is, Am I loving what I'm doing? Am I expressing it to the best of my ability? And does it have the potential of really changing somebody else's life? And if I can stay in that sweet spot, and, and it, it, you know, if you go back to the book in 1975, it was constructed kind of out of that same question as what could make this teacher's life easier and what could make these 25 little six-year-old beings what could make their lives easier and allow them to learn more and move through life in a more easeful way? And so it's kind of like how to reduce the chaos in a first-grade classroom. That was one of my big tasks. And, you know, I was able to do a research dissertation on it that showed that we reduced all these things by, you know, large amounts. And so we, we did it from kind of a scientific perspective, which I don't do that much of that anymore. But in those days, I was really fascinated by, you know, charts and graphs and statistics and that kind of thing. Nowadays, my statistical research is does it make the person's – face break out in a smile. That's what I'm interested in now. (laughs) Those are some good statistics you're talking there. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's awesome. So, I mean, as you can hear from what Gay is talking about with the most recent, you know, paperback versions of The Big Leap, which I highly recommend. It's actually on my nightstand now. I'm I'm working through it myself, and it is an incredible book. Um, But we're talking about a 35-plus year writing career. And I know you just begin to touch on this space that you enter into when you write, which is the combination of your passions and the usefulness of, you know, what it is you're sharing with the person who you want, you know, you hope to be reading that book. What else can you share about how you really bring your heart into what you do? Like, I mean, when you sit down to write, What's your process like? I mean, do you go through any rituals? Do you wait for the time to strike? Do you, you know, wait till the deadline strikes and then you get motivated? What's your process? Because, I mean, across all of your books, over a number of decades, your heart is a thing that you infuse into every one of them. So any tips you have to offer everyone listening um, on really the how you really slip into that zone and um, generate such amazing, profound, transformational content over and over and over would be really helpful, I think. Well, one thing I do and have done every single day of my writing career for 35 years, in fact, I started meditating every day in 1973. So let's see, how long ago is that? I'm Math is not my strong subject anymore, but tw- uh, Almost 40 years? Almost 40 years. So I've been meditating every day now for almost 40 years, and so I always meditate for about 20 minutes or so before I start writing, and I do some stretches. Actually, I do the stretches before I start writing. I get up. I like to get up early in the morning. I I don't set an alarm clock or anything unless I've got to catch a plane or something, but like this morning, I woke up around 5 a.m. Yesterday morning, I woke up around maybe 6 a.m., so somewhere in that vicinity, 5 or 6, uh-huh. and, I, and I come in, and my wife likes to sleep in a lot later, but I, I come into my home office here and back in the back part of the house, and I stretch and play with my cat, and uh, then I meditate for 20 minutes or so, and so my mind is kind of clear and sharp, and my body is 
humming and feeling a, a flow in there. And I don't feel like I can honorably sit down and communicate with the 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 computer or my audience unless I'm feeling in that sweet space myself. In other words, if I'm feeling the flow of creativity in myself and the flow of good feeling in myself and the clarity, then I feel like I'm fit to share things with other people. But if I'm feeling off-center or something like that, I don't really try to do any writing. I just do some more breathing and stretching and moving around until I, I feel the flow again. Or if there's some glitch in the business or something that I need to fix, somebody that's causing problems or something that needs deciding then um I do that later but I always I always start out every morning with my writing and my meditation and my um stretching and that kind of thing so uh I'm probably finished with most of my my big writing by usually 8 or 8:30 in the morning maybe uh later on in the day I can I write things like you know memos and emails and um you know marketing pieces and things like that uh, but I don't usually try to do a lot of my crystal clear creative writing unless I have that crystal clear space going early in the morning. So that's kind of my uh, my process, and I use uh, I, I do a lot of writing on a little uh, Apple laptop, and uh, I do some on a on a big machine, but I uh, I probably do most of it on my little tiny laptop that I can carry with me on airplanes and things. And I've written entire books on airplanes, <laughs> so. <laughs> During times in my life when I've been traveling a lot, you know, I, I have almost a million frequent flyer miles now, and I uh, so some of my books have been uh, written to kind of be in the zone when I'm on an airplane flight because there's nothing better to me on an airplane flight than having, you know, a few hours of uninterrupted, um, you know, think time and and working time, and so. Um, but uh, mainly, I'm an early morning kind of guy, and. Um, that's that's my main process. I also um, want to, uh, before I, it slips my mind here, I made a note to share with you a big surprise, which nobody else in public has heard about yet, so you'll be able to premiere this piece of information if you so desire. But about a year ago, I was sitting around, I was thinking, I'd like to read a good mystery novel. It was over the summer, and I was you know, kind of looking for a and I couldn't find a good mystery novel to read, so... I thought, oh, wow, maybe that's the universe's way of telling me to write one myself. So I sat down and I thought, hmm, I love mystery novels since I first read Sherlock Holmes when I was a kid. And I've never thought of myself as a mystery novelist, but let me see if I can write a mystery novel. And so I, I figured out a character the kind of character that I would like to read about if I were reading it. And he's a Tibetan Buddhist private detective that grew up in a, <laughs> uh, that grew up in a Tibetan monastery, and uh, but then moved to L.A. when he was a teenager. And he's uh, he's half um, uh, half French, half uh, Tibetan. His father is a Tibetan Lama, and his mother was a French woman who was came to India to study at the monastery. Anyway, I ended up writing a novel about this. Uh, character, and I have just sold it to a publisher as of this week. And Congratulations! Uh, right. How yes. exciting! <laughs> I'm just thrilled. It's such a cool little th sequence of things that happened because it came from this moment of kind of saying to myself, hmm, what would I most love to read about? You know, and then I created this character, and I swear during the writing of it, which only took me a couple of months to really write the whole first draft. Every morning I would wake up so excited because I couldn't find, wait to find out what was going to happen next. You know, it was sort of like my my life for two months there became like the novel in the sense that I didn't know what was mm. going to happen from moment to moment in it. And it invented itself as it went along kind of by just tuning in every day in meditation and kind of feeling, well, where does this want to go next? And so um, – I, uh, I'm really thrilled, and uh, Hay House uh, just offered me a contract on it, and they're going to launch a whole new fiction series next year with my mystery novel, and so I'm really thrilled about that. Yay! Oh, my gosh, so exciting. You're breaking around everywhere. I love it. And I was you sort of answered the question, but I want to ask it anyway to see if there's any more that you have to offer there. We may, I mean, primarily this whole um, program is for nonfiction authors, but I'm sure we've probably got some fiction writers on the phone. And 
you'd kind of touched in it, but was your writing process the same in writing the nonfiction and the fiction? It was still get up, do your stretching, do your meditation, you know, enter your zone and write, just that, you know, you wrote fiction. Were there any other, were there any differences in the process for you? Because writing fiction and nonfiction are two very different um, worlds. Yes, well, one difference um, comes immediately to mind, and that was that it took over my life in a much bigger way that I, I couldn't just stop at 8 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I would I would take a little break, you know, maybe for an hour or two and have some breakfast or something. But then I remember um, last summer when I was working on it, I remember sitting out under an umbrella in our backyard during warm days um, where I would just almost spend the whole day out there, you know, and I would stop occasionally for some exercise and that kind of thing. But it got to me in the sense that I, I could hardly – wait to find out what was going to happen next and I got really consumed with it and my wife also said Katie said that uh, she'd hardly ever seen me so happy in my life as as I was when I was writing that novel and so that made an impression on me and uh, so I said of course one of my main motivations in my life is to have my wife say things like you're you seem very happy today <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I got finished with that one and I couldn't stop. I said, oh, my gosh, i got to find out what happens next. And so after I finished the first novel, I, I kind of rested for a week, and then I started the next one. And I just felt like I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't wait to find out. I, I wanted to find out how this character continued to develop because he had some issues and problems and, and concerns and quirks in his character in the first book that I wanted to see how he would work them out in the second book. And so, by golly, I got finished with that one, and now I'm halfway through number three a year later. So uh, I've got a trilogy going now. And just because I couldn't find – you know, each book comes to a, a very satisfying conclusion in itself, but then the next one kind of builds on things and takes it off in certain directions. So they're each about a separate mystery, but the through line of them is this guy's uh, development and his way of looking at things and and the relationships with women he gets into and uh, it's it's got a lot of it's a place where I can smuggle in a lot of the stuff I know about relationships and life in general now and I can kind of smuggle it into this novel in a whole different way in a way that uh, you know is hopefully entertaining and humorous and and compelling. Well, how exciting! I'm not a big fiction reader, but I think I'm going to have to pick that one up. It sounds awesome. At least, the, well, the first one I'll pick up when the first one comes out and go from there. But thanks Good. so much for sharing that, because like I said, I have a feeling we've probably got some fiction authors on the line. And, you know, one of the things that I hear you speaking to, which very much I believe is the experience of the transformational author, is, you know, once you set your foot on this journey, once you take action, once you begin the process of writing that book and birthing it into the world and marketing it, there's this energy that meets you on that path and carries you to whatever the next destination may be. And when you believe me, when you write the first words of your first book, you have no idea the um, message that you are giving to the universe that says, I am ready, show me, guide me, use me, let me serve to the highest possible way that I can. And when you put pen to paper and start writing, that is the silent unspoken prayer that you are putting out there that you want to be used to help transform, you know, as many people as you can to have that life that Gay says, to add more value, more happiness to their lives. And as I hear you sharing your story from way, way, way back, you know, the, writing the poetry and, you know, moving into the centering book and going from there, it's like you can follow the through line of the hand of the divine in every twist and turn. And this, I believe, is a journey that's available for every transformational author to let that divine hand come in and guide you and move you to where you are going to be able to be most expressed, most fulfilled, most joyous, and make the most contribution in the world. I mean, do you, is that your sense, Gay, that th that is exactly what happened to you? Because that's sure what it sounds like to me. I really appreciate that perspective. That feels exactly right. I, I appreciate the way you've languaged that. Well, I, you know, it's it's become so clear to me that that that's the way it works. Like, for example. Um, 
where it really became apparent how it works is in 1980, when I met Katie, so that goes back 32 years. We've been together 32 years now. That summer, I made a huge decision. I'd been writing books like The Centering Book, and then I wrote a couple of textbooks in counseling psychology, and I had just done something which I came to regret. I wanted to buy a house, and I the, the year before, I'd wanted to buy this little house, and I didn't have money enough to do it. So I was back at Prentice Hall, and they said, hey, we need somebody to come in and write part of a textbook on um, family psychology for 11th graders. And it was so not what I did, but they waved this chunk of money in front of me, and it happened to be pretty much what I needed as a down payment for my house. And so <laughs> uh, in, in spite of every cell in my body saying, don't do this, don't do this, I ended up uh, taking the money and having to deliver this chapter, which was very, very stressful for me. So this year, this, the year that I met Katie, I'd just kind of gone through that experience, and I made a decision that I only wanted to write books from my heart from then on, that I would only write from my heart what I most wanted to write. And if that didn't come, well, so what? Or if that didn't sell, well, so what? At least I would have had the experience of really searching down deep inside me and coming forth with what I really had to offer. And so out of that came my book, Learning to Love Yourself, which is about a moment in my life where I went from not loving myself to suddenly loving myself for the first time. And it so changed everything in my life that I wrote a little mm. book about it. And so, um, uh, again, Prentice Hall, I was with them for many, many books, and they, they published that book. And right away, the following thing happened. It got reviewed in Psychology Today. And at the time, Psychology Today magazine was very, very popular. I don't know if it is anymore, but in those days, it was quite the popular magazine in our whole field and a monthly magazine. And so the reviewer, who is a guy named R.D. Rosen, who wrote a book years later called Psychobabble, where he sort of expressed disgust with self-help books and, you know, just kind of dumped on everything in our field. And uh, so um, – but they gave it to him to review – and he just hated it. And so one day a friend of mine called me up and he said, hey, um, do you get psychology today? Um, and I said, no. Why? And he said, well, do, you, do yourself a favor and do not read this month's issue. <laughs> so I, I said, hmm. So, of course, you know what I had to do. I had to run down to the newsstand. And, uh, and I remember going into the newsstand to find out what he was talking about. And I picked up the magazine, and I leafed through till I found the review. And I was standing there at the newsstand reading it, and my stomach was going, oh, God. You know, because this guy basically said learning to love yourself is um, – you know, an example of here's this respectable psychologist who is starting to talk in a book about his own feelings and how he de deals with his own anger or how he doesn't deal with his own anger and how he came to love himself and all this. He says, we, I, we really hope this is not some dangerous trend toward people writing, quote, self-help books. And because uh, it was one of the first self-help books and it was a new genre that didn't really exist yet. So uh, actually, uh, the reviewer in the in the review said it actually the book made him sick to his stomach. <laughs> and, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the funny thing. Guess what that review did? It made it a bestseller. I was going to say, it probably got you tons of book sales. It did because the book, uh, by the time the review came out, it was selling something like maybe 5,000 copies a month. And when the review came out, it just apparently everybody – loved the things that he hated about it and uh, but mm. thankfully he did bring out all the stuff that the book was about and people just had never seen anything like that and i've probably gotten more fan mail from that book even though it was back you know 30 some years ago uh than almost any other ones until we started writing books like uh, conscious loving in the 1990s but here's the other interesting thing and that is that because of that book learning to love yourself Roll the clock forward many years. The book was still, you know, doing well and had been out for some years. So I, I get off an airplane in Hawaii where my wife and I were going to teach a seminar, 
and it was in February, and we were so glad to be out of Colorado in February and basking in the, you know, we were just kind of standing there at the airport, and I get a message from my secretary back home in Colorado who says, there's a woman named Oprah Winfrey trying to get hold of you, and I... I had not. I, there was a whole era of my life when I didn't own a television set. As a matter of fact, I had uh, uh, humorously I, we had never actually seen Oprah until we were on Oprah, and uh, so we didn't we didn't you know we didn't watch much TV and that kind of thing. So I put the thing aside and I said uh, until I I got over to uh, we were going over to Shakti Gawain's house, and so we went over there, and. Um, I said, by the way, have you ever heard of somebody named Oprah Winfrey? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, I was on her show. It's a new kind of up-and-coming show, and um, she really loves folks like us. And um, and so I checked it out a little bit, and then I called them back, and they wanted me to come back to Chicago and talk about learning to love yourself on her show. And there I am, standing there in Hawaii, you know, and I thought, Chicago, that's going to be even colder than um, Colorado. And, um, so I said, you know, I'd love to do it, but some other time, you know, like I just, uh, I just can't, can't turn around and come back to cold weather right now. And I, I told him I was standing there at Shakti Gawain's house and everything. And I, so I may be the first self-help book author in existence that turned down my first opportunity to be on Oprah. Fortunately, years later when, uh, conscious, um, or a couple of years later when, uh, conscious loving came out, she invited us on our, on her show then and had us on a number of times. Um, but um, it was very interesting that that negative review in psychology today ended up creating a bestseller that eventually came to Oprah's attention. You know, So you never know just how the universe uh-uh. is going to be winking at you. And it all has to do with staying down in there in that zone of writing from the heart. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I just think it's amazing to kind of track, um, you know, the evidence of grace coming in and, you know, that person picking up the book and writing this horrible review and sending it off, you know, to the top of the charts. And it's just, it's one of my greatest pleasures to be able to see all the evidences of the miracles that unfold when you actually you know, take the steps to get your transformational work out into the world through the form of a book, the energetic doors that it opens, um, what it allows the universe to see you being ready for is, as you're hearing from Gay, nothing short of miracle after miracle after blessing after blessing. So I'm so grateful that you that you talked about that. Before we move on, because I know we want to touch a little bit on um, just the business piece, too, but is there anything that you want to add about writing from the heart that we haven't covered yet? I want to make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's on that before we shift gears a little bit. Sure. Uh, Well, I think a lot of it does come down from listening to yourself inside, uh, getting into a more intimate relationship with yourself. See, I think everybody has that creative flow built in. It comes wired in us from the universe, so a lot of people don't think they're creative and that kind of thing, but I think that's a lot of baloney because I, um, you know, I've had so many people that I've worked with that did not think of themselves as creative but were eventually able to get that creative flow on the line. So I think that uh, the, the best thing to do is just keep tuning in, listening, finding out what most what you most love to be and what you most love to contribute and staying in the sweet spot of the flow of that, how you can both tune in to what you most love to do and be looking for ways to serve other people through your writing. Awesome. So let me ask you a question then, because I know when I'm coaching authors, I and you may disagree with me on this, but I don't believe that there's actually such a thing called writer's block that the block isn't in the writing, that the block is something within the person that needs to be shifted or moved that can then allow the writing to flow. My belief is that the writing always wants to flow. The gift and the blessing and the transformational message always wants to come through. But if there's a block, it's, it's inside the person and something that they need to shift in them to like I said, move that aside so the flow can begin to happen. What are I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this concept of writer's block. 
Now, that's very interesting because about 30 years ago, I wrote a little article called There's No Such Thing as Writer's Block. <laughs> and, ah, uh, <laughs> so we're in the same camp. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, what I meant by it, and sounds like what you have caught on to also, is there's when the creativity is not coming out, there's something on the inward stroke that needs to be tuned into. You need to learn something deeper about yourself. And so as you learn more and more deeply about yourself, that creative flow just has to come out. And so if it's not coming out that way, just check inside and say, hmm, here's my question. What is it in myself that most needs to be loved? That's my all-purpose question from popping loose from writer's block. Mm, I hope everyone's writing that down. What is it in myself that most needs to be loved? Mm-hmm. I bet you never thought that it, you know that would be the tool for uh, getting rid of the quote-unquote supposed writer's block, but this is the transformational author experience. So, of course, first level of transformation is with the self. So keep that question in mind. If you're writing and you're stuck, what is it within you? that most needs to be loved. What a beautiful question, Gay. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. It's really saved me a few times. <laughs> I bet it will save a lot of people listening right now, too, as they unfold on their journeys. Now, I know we're getting a little bit close to having to just keep an eye on the, the clock, I know, um, but we, I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, let's say now with all the amazing information and the wisdom um, and the guidance that you've given everyone around writing. I would love for you now, if you take some time, to share a little bit about how you created your transformational business around your books, right? We hear you talking about all these seminars you do. We know you've got, you know, you've, you and Katie founded the Hendricks Institute. You're helping tens of thousands of people around the world. But anything that you have to share that can help all these transformational authors really just you know, have a new perspective on creating that transformational business. I would love what you could could share with everyone. Well, this is fresh on my mind because uh, we're about to launch the next edition of our Conscious Entrepreneurs Program, which I would say half the people in the program are probably people who have written a book or or created a transformational product um, and are creating a business around that. Some of the people in the program already have done that and are, you know, are in the program to say, you know, take their revenues from X dollars a month up to the amount that they want. So, um, but the, the, the key thing, I think, is to get around and really look at things from the client or the customer's point of view. Here's a great way I do that, and I'll give this to anybody. It's a tremendous, valuable process. When I start thinking about writing a particular book, I actually go over to a bookshelf in a bookstore where the book would likely to be sold, and uh, I have a nice one nearby that I can do this with, and uh, I kind of stand there in front of the bookshelf, and I think, what is the person feeling who's standing here thinking about buying a book? What are they actually feeling? And, you know, I tune in what my book is about and what does the person really want and need with regard to this particular thing? Like, for example, with Conscious Loving, I remember doing that before we wrote our book, Conscious Loving, which was our first big relationship book in the early 90s. And I remember Katie and I both standing in front of bookshelves and saying, okay, If I'm here and I'm looking for a relationship book or looking for help on my relationships, what is it I'm actually feeling? And we would kind of begin to tune in to feeling that in ourselves. And as we got clearer and clearer on that, it became clearer to us about how to write in a way that impacted the the reader because we had kind of done that homework in ourselves by, by feeling that in ourselves. And so... We actually, our business is a kind of a simple one, but it's extremely scalable. Um, We have a little series of relationship seminars. For example, we have a a three-day one, and then we have a five-day one for more advanced things that you can go to after you do the three-day one. And then we have a, a 
a program that goes for two years that if you really want a master relationship coaching, you can get into that. This, the Conscious Entrepreneurs Program is also uh, one of the things that we offer. It's a six-month program, virtual program primarily. It has one live meeting in the middle of it, but it's primarily uh, over the phone consultations with people. And so we um, we have a number of different vehicles depending on what people want to know and how far they want to go. So we have a, a whole area, a set of seminars and things in relationship, and then a, a whole set of seminars and things in breath and movement, which is another thing that Katie and I are very passionate about. I've written three books about breathing, for example, and she's written two books about movement therapy and moving. That's one of her passions. Mm. And um, so um, we've, we create... Uh, in, in our pre-Oprah years, this looked like maybe meeting with six couples in our living room or meeting with a dozen couples at a at a conference center over a weekend, something like that. Now, of course, all the stuff over the past 20 years has made them much larger and that kind of thing, and we do them all over the, the world now. But it's a, basically a very simple business of sharing the essence of what we've learned in a kind of a crystallized way with other people and it's i remember at the beginning i was saying once you discover something it's almost like you have an obligation to share it with the world yeah you know i really feel that way and i feel like uh one of the things that you know i feel better in my life now than i did or in my health and everything than i did 20 or 30 years ago and i know in my relationship with katie you know it's been 32 years now but Every day, it's even better than it was the day before because we practice these kind of certain basic principles like being honest with each other, you know, taking responsibility for things that come up rather than blaming each other. And we give each other a lot of rich amount of appreciations back and forth and are always looking for ways that we can improve the quality of our relationship with each other. And if you keep doing things like that and keep reporting on them, uh, I think you have an obligation to share them with the world. So, so now um, – I've always been interested in entrepreneuring, even since I set up my first lemonade stand when I was eight years old. So I just love to create little businesses, and sometimes they turn big. You know, like the Spiritual Cinema Circle was just created out of an idea I had one morning in meditation, and Stephen Simon and I developed it into a you know, multi-million dollar business. And so um, I think it's good to make things that are very simple and highly scalable. I, uh, I really love businesses that work that way. So there's a tremendous amount of... Uh, pull to get complicated in life, but if you just get down to what is it that I most have to share, and you express it to the world in a way that people see, oh, I see how that could help me, and then provide them opportunities to do that. That's just the simplest, uh, the best business I can ever think of um, being in. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, because I think every single person on, you know, the class right now, whether you're listening live or listening to the recording, um, that is what they all want, you know. And when you can really find that sweet spot of what it is that you most want to share in a way that it can really serve those people who you want it to serve. I mean, in my Get Your Book Done program, the whole first five modules or the whole first four modules are all of this research. What kind of problems are people facing that my book would be for? How can I solve their problems? You know, what is it that their greatest need is? And when you can get crystal clear on that and really birth it through the book with the clarity, you can see, as Gay said, it just, it makes, it's a natural segue into a business around the book. You know, if the book is on relationships, then, oh, let's have a three- and five-day seminar or, you know, a more in-depth program around relationships. You can absolutely build that transformational business around your book, um, as Gay just pointed out. So I'm really glad that you um, just touched on that a little bit for everyone. Now, I know for anyone who wants to get a a little taste of the the work that Gay and Katie do, I know you have a special – I believe a relationship catalyst program. I can direct people to your site at transformational. Well, not it, it's our easy link to get over to Gay's site, which is transformationalauthor.com forward slash Gay. So if you're listening now, you can just go to transformationalauthor.com forward slash Gay. That's just G A Y. And over there, you're going to find out about the Relationship Catalyst Program. Would you just talk a little bit about that, Gay? And then I've still got another um, really powerful question I want to ask you before we wrap up. 
Sure. Well, the relationship catalyst comes out of Kathleen and myself really tuning in over the years to what are the things that everybody wants in the area of relationship. Well, one thing that almost everybody wants if you're single is to know how to manifest effortlessly the kind of relationship that you really want. So part of the relationship catalyst is for single people. Part of it is for couples. Uh, it has a couple of separate programs in it for singles and couples. The one for couples is all about how to build an ongoing flow of love and to move through all of the glitches and issues that you've had before so that there's a continuous flow of love and positive energy in the relationship. And the program, uh, what's kind of cool about it, it's got a lot of great information in it, but it's also got this specially composed background music that when you listen to it, it harmonizes your mind and body while you're taking in these skills and that kind of thing. So you really you get that kind of deep, good body, easy feeling in your body and a kind of a easy feeling in your mind. It's a special kind of brain hemispheric integration music. It's very pleasant to listen to, um, but it has these tones embedded in it that just you'll feel it kind of, hmm, it kind of brings you down into yourself, and you kind of go, ah, okay, now I'm ready to learn. And so it's a great way to speed up your learning process. So the things that took us <laughs> 10 years to learn by making about a 1,000 mistakes, people can learn them now by just kind of letting these things get into their body and mind in an easeful way and then practicing some simple tools and techniques out in their relationship. So um, the tagline of it is love made easy. That's, uh, that's what we're up to here with our relationship work is to take something that's very hard and we figured out how people do make love hard and then we figured out a way to have love be easy. And so that's really what it's about, and uh, we've uh, worked out a, a little discount so people can go in there and uh, get it for uh, less than they would normally have to pay for it. And so um, um, I appreciate you uh, spreading the word on that. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Again, it's transformationalauthor.com forward slash gay, G-A-Y. And I'm going to encourage you to go there for two reasons. One is obviously take a look at what Gay has. I'm, I told him before we started uh, the class today that I definitely want to go get that program because Gay's work is just so powerful, and I didn't even know that you had this relationship catalyst, so count me in on that one. But the other reason why I think you should go and take a look and even decide to purchase the product is so you can get an idea of how Gay is actually packaging his material in a way that creates an ongoing recurring stream of income for him um, as it transforms you as the purchaser. So go and look from two perspectives. And I hope you're doing that with all the classes that you're hearing because you're, you're learning from people who have built successful businesses around the book. So go and see what they're doing and how they're doing it and learn from some of the modeling that you're going to see there. And, of course, pick up a fantastic product at a great price. In the meantime, at transforma transformationalauthor.com forward slash gay. So the last question I want to ask you, and this is really our closing wrap-up question, if there was one piece of wisdom, and you have shared so much today, but if there's one piece of wisdom that you want to make sure that every single person walks away with from this class, what wisdom is it you want to impart to them as we wrap up on their transformational journey of becoming an author? Tune in however you can through meditation or whatever practices you do, and just ask yourself, what is it that I most love? What is it that I most love to do? What is it that I most love to write about? What has meant the most in my life that I feel a burning passion to share with others? And then just start somewhere. I say you, you call yourself a writer if you spend 10 minutes a day writing tapping into your own creative flow. I don't mean writing a laundry list or something like that, but to actually spend at least 10 minutes a day saying, hmm, what do I have within my heart that I feel a burning yearning to share? And that's where to put your focus. Everything from from then on, it sort of doesn't matter. If you, if you want to be in business, wonderful. But if you don't want to be in business, at least you'll have that generous experience of being inside the creative flow for 10 minutes a day. And I bet it'll be addictive to you, and pretty soon you're going to want to be doing it an hour a day. That's how it worked for me anyway. 
Awesome. Thank you. Great, great, great little nugget to send everyone off on. Tune into yourself and really contemplate what it is you love to do and what it is you love to write about and write about it. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much, Gay, for being here. This has just been such a joyous and fun and exciting time with you. I just feel like every word you spoke was resonating, as every word of your books do, but your every word you spoke was really resonating in the hearts of the people listening, including mine. So I want to thank you um, deeply for just sharing yourself as um, abundantly as you did with us today. All right. Thanks a lot. Many blessings to you. Great. And for everyone listening, I want to thank you, too, for being here. And I'm going to encourage you right now to take just a few minutes after you check out Gay's site to go over to our page on Facebook. Again, it's facebook.com forward slash transformational authors. And I want to invite you while you're there to post your ahas, even questions that you might have, your insights, what you feel shifting for you, what's opening up for you in this conversation. Put it out there. Anchor it into your being, what's happening for you as you're listening to these classes because there's a lot happening. So post it. Share it. Let me see it so I can respond to it and you know participate with you there. So I look forward to seeing you over on our Facebook page. And in the meantime, this is Christine Closer, the creator of the Transformational Author Experience and Writing Contest and the award-winning Get Your Book Done program. And I just have to say it's been an absolute pleasure spending the time with you all. Thanks for being here. I can't wait to see you in the next class. In the meantime, before that next class, just may you be blessed abundantly on this amazing transformational journey. Namaste. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Your Book Done. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And if you want my help with your book, head over to christinecloser.com to learn more and get a free copy of my book, The Transformation Quadrant, which will show you how to blueprint your book in 15 minutes or less. The Get Your Book Done podcast is where the leading conversation is happening for transformational authors everywhere. And I'm grateful you tuned in.